Reconstructionist Radio presents a War Room production, Once Dead, where brothers and sisters in the faith share God's grace upon their lives, how they were once spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins, but are now kingdom-driven by the grace of God so undeserved. My name is Bill Evans, and I was once dead. I was born in 1954 in a small town in southeast Missouri, the oldest of seven kids in a blue-collar family. I went to Catholic schools, complete with nuns. I was an altar boy and a choir boy. I grew up in the days of cotton gins, moon pies and RC cola, and segregation, yet without all the current racial tension. Like many young boys, I snuck peeks at the women's lingerie section of the Sears catalog. But I'll never forget my first exposure to pornography as a young boy. It was a devastatingly powerful influence. I was talkative, artistic, witty, and a risk taker. I wasn't really very good at sports, and I wasn't a very good fighter, although I tried. But little did I realize that promiscuity in using women would become my preferred way of overcompensating. By the time that I was 20 years old, a young merchant mariner living in New Orleans, I already had a lifetime of experience with females. I can remember speaking to a Catholic priest about how to get mastery over myself and was referred not to Christ in the Scripture, but to transcendental meditation. I joined the Navy at the age of 21, out of, out of boredom mainly, and to enhance my opportunities for adventure, which generally meant sin. I was assigned as a young navigational petty officer to a destroyer in Norfolk, Virginia. One night in the laundromat, I was asked by a fellow if I had any interest in spiritual things. You know, I thought he was talking about ghosts. He clarified that he was talking about the Bible, Jesus Christ, and so I responded with my standard Catholic shtick. He invited me to come to the Bible study, and a week later, bored and thinking that I might meet a girl, I attended. It was a navigator Bible study I was to learn. There I heard the gospel, and was, I believe, powerfully converted. John 1.12, Ephesians 2.8.9, Titus 3.5.6, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Galatians 2.20, 1 John 5.11-13, Revelation 3.20. These are all verses I remember hearing that evening for the very first time. Little did I know that night I would receive my first lesson in Calvinism, When I reported to the group that I had prayed to receive Christ, a fellow sailor said, Yeah, we'll be here five years from now. The day was May 1976. I bought a Bible, started sharing the gospel, memorizing and studying the scripture. I gave up my former way of life and was baptized. I too became a never-dater. Throughout my time in the service, even when overseas, I sought out Christians, led Bible studies, and evangelized. I was known by everybody on the ship as the Christian on duty. I was the Protestant lay leader. I discipled young believers, even preached in the open air on Mars Hill in Athens during a med cruise. I was once invited by a Muslim businessman in Bahrain to visit his home and talk to him about Jesus Christ. 
or as they call him, Isa. I became convinced early on of the Reformed view concerning the doctrines of grace, having dug a tract on Calvinism out of the trash can and swallowed it whole. But my dirty secret was that I still struggled with private sexual sin centered around pornography. Upon my discharge, I attended a Bible college in South Carolina. I was sure, as would everyone else who knew me, that I was bound for the ministry. This was the first time I had ever been in a co-ed environment with girls everywhere, and they all loved Jesus. True to my NAV training, I sought out the sharpest guy on campus I could find. He was a 32-year-old Vietnam vet, a combat Marine and physician who was pursuing a master's in divinity to go to the mission field. He was also navigator trained and a serious, no-nonsense, reformed Presbyterian. God would use this man in my life in profoundly important ways, and he still does. It was during this time that I began to understand covenant theology, creation science, ecclesiology, and developed a disdain for popular pop eschatology. Everyone seemed to think that I was the golden boy, a gifted, seemingly mature Christian, veteran, strong in the scripture, well-read, well-versed in theology, passionate, articulate, outgoing, trained in disciple-making. But there was a girl. In truth, we only had a few walks and a few lunches together, nothing intense, by my standards at least. There was no physical intimacy whatsoever. But I got in my head somehow that this striking, blue-eyed brunette nurse raised on the mission field was God's will for my life. As impossible as it is for me to explain, after initially encouraging me, she drew away and began avoiding me and sent word through friends that she was uninterested. She ultimately left Bible college to commence a relationship elsewhere. I was devastated. It wouldn't be an exaggeration to say I had something of a meltdown. I left Bible college traveled west of the Rocky Mountains and left my Christian friends and lifestyle behind to sulk. After working in the oil fields through what must have been the coldest winter in recorded history, I returned to civilization and joined a local Bible study in Casper, Wyoming, where I met a Christian girl, another blue-eyed brunette, in a city where the ratio of men to women was 20 to 1. I didn't exactly love her, I intended for us to remain only friends, but we fell one time, which as we all know, is all it takes. She became pregnant, we became married, she miscarried, and I felt trapped. Subsequently, I Calvinized her, moved her to St. Louis, and we had two sons. We joined a PCA church, the Lord gave us a position that included free rent and utilities. I attended University of Missouri, was recruited for management by UPS, and had begun attending Covenant Seminary. You know, on the outside, everything looked good. I was busy, but I was not shepherding and loving my wife. A sexual indiscretion with a female associate at work, which I promptly confessed, led to church discipline and subsequent divorce. By this time, I was starting 
to come into something of a spiritual fog. I was still going through many of the motions. We were in church every time the door was open. I met weekly with godly men, pastors and seminary professors, but somehow the reality was missing. Newly divorced, my children's mother moved back west. I went into sales and then really started making serious money. I felt free, but I was entering in following my broken marriage covenant, an extended season of rebellion. Now, from time to time, my spiritual feet would touch bottom, and for a period of time, I would experience a measure of spiritual equilibrium, including attending charismatic prayer services and having hands laid on me and even getting a prayer language. But overall, I was kind of like a man being swept along by a river, a river of hypocrisy, sexual immorality, hedonism, and materialism. I was becoming, for lack of a better term, a serial fornicator. Although I had Christian brothers who would talk straight to me, it was though I was in a vortex, trapped by powerful drugs, the pride of life, and the love of the world, and the things in the world. I was like a comet. I was successful at everything I did, and yet I could never build any kind of stable life. Like Solomon, I denied myself virtually no carnal pleasure. I became vile, wretched, and idolatrous playboy, living in a penthouse, dating women in the sex industry, driving a convertible, and wearing expensive shoes. I'm sure my sons understood. They didn't see me very much. They lived a thousand miles away. But I didn't care. I was too self-centered. I fathered a daughter out of wedlock, but refused any involvement. In time, recreational drugs began to take over. Sexual excess had become my god, and it was very demonic. It was not long before I had lost everything, including a short-lived second marriage. It was only because of the Lord's mercy that I was not consumed. Thankfully, all this time I never openly rejected Christ or denied Him, although by my life I certainly had crucified Him afresh. To make a break with my past and thus survive, I left Phoenix where I was residing. It really no longer felt like living. And I moved across the country with diminished options, went into truck driving, something that I had never, ever considered in my life. I'm not sure precisely when, but the Lord began to work in my heart again. I reconnected with my faithful brother from Bible College, who was now many years later a former missionary pastor, a respected elder, homeschooling father of five. All things that might have been my experience had I not so tragically departed from the straight way, There was no condemnation, but he did begin to pick up where he'd left off many years ago, and my life began to take on the characteristics of happier days as a young Christian. All the scriptures that I had memorized seemed to come back. The books that I had read and consumed, I could once remember. Zeal for the Lord returned. I even began to compose hymns that dealt with my time in the wilderness. But wait... Was there repentance? Oh, yes. There was deep sorrow and regret, remorse, sometimes even haunting nightmares about the years I spent in rebellion away from the Lord. 
And this accompanied my turning away from sin and new obedience. But wasn't I saved back in 76? How do I reconcile my experience with Reformed theology? People in the early days would have sworn that I was among the most committed Christians they knew. But what happened? Had I been saved, really? Was I merely a false convert, a temporary believer? I know Scripture teaches that without holiness no man shall see the Lord. I know that had I died during those years, I would have been lost, with no fruit by which I might make my calling and election sure. But it does no good to look behind me, as we are exhorted from the Scriptures, to forget what lies behind and reach forward to what lies ahead, to press on toward the upward prize in Christ Jesus, to cling to His promise that what He has begun He will bring to completion. As the author and finisher of my faith, yes, I cling to this. Today, by God's grace, I am in Christ, not because I chose Him, but because He chose me. I don't know why I went through those wilderness years. I can't explain it, but I don't have time to worry about it. Yes, wilderness living is hard, and my life still bears many scars, physically and mentally. My mind is like a large house with many rooms full of memories, most of which have large locks on the door and into which I am not allowed to enter. The faces and memories of the people that I sinned against and sinned with often threaten to invade my thoughts, which demands that I learned how to guard my heart with all diligence. All I can do for them is pray that God will have mercy on them as he has on me. The reality that I made so many dreadfully wrong choices, that I squandered so many opportunities to serve the Lord, to be a better husband and father, is a reality that I will carry with me until I meet the Lord. And while I'm justified by faith, I don't mind saying that I don't look forward to that day when every hidden thought, word, and deed will be revealed. I'm glad the Lord promises to wipe away every tear, for there's sure going to be plenty of them. Now, I'm not a pastor, elder, deacon, or even an author. I'm a nobody for Christ. But indeed, I, I know for a fact that to be a mere nobody in the house of the Lord is far better than to live in the tent of the wicked. I have peace with God, and my conscience has been washed clean through the washing of water with the Word. Now, what did I learn? I learned sanctification is not about exerting some superhuman effort or ecstatic experience. It is about applying the ordinary means of grace, simple disciplines, practiced daily, compounded over time. I learned that sexual purity is not optional, and, it, and that in the words of John Owen, I must be killing sin, or sin will be killing me. My lot from the Lord is to remain single and celibate, and I praise Him that He has given me the grace to make this a joyful reality. I learned that knowing theology is not the same as being holy, that the importance of reading books, notwithstanding, it is not the primary means of sanctification. I learned that accountability with other men who are serious about Christ and His kingdom is indispensable. I learned that the law of God is vitally important and that how I feel has little to do with loving God. No, the way I love God is by obeying His commandments. I learned that every day is spiritual warfare, and the day you forget it is the day you become a casualty. 
I learned that one's eschatology impacts one's sanctification. I learned of God's glorious kingdom and of my responsibility to live in such a way so as to consciously seek to extend it in every area of life and the world around me. I've learned that the best defense is a good offense. I learned that to live out that that I needed to live all out and to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and ordered my life according to his word. To quit fighting, to quit running, the race is to fail, and for me to fail is to die. For me to live as Christ, and like the Apostle Paul, if I am to live on in the flesh, I know that this means fruitful labor for me. And I also know that my sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit and has been purchased by Jesus Christ. Today, even though I'm just a truck driver, the Lord, by His grace, has been using me in the lives of people. I spend about 25 to 50% of my time, it seems, on the telephone, talking to people, trying to encourage them, praying for them and with them. I'm eager to help them to avoid the mistakes I've made and to keep them from wasting the years I wasted. Being a friend... Making disciples, well, that's messy, and you got to get your hands dirty. You have to be transparent. You have to be willing to take risks. I desire to live a form of Christianity that's not theoretical, but practical. I'm not motivated by fear, but by the knowledge of what great things the Lord has done for me and how he has had mercy on me. I have prioritized rebuilding the lost trust with my children, now grown, and I'm so grateful to God that he has enabled me to do that. I have learned the need to redeem the time. This includes utilizing tools of dominion, not for entertainment, but for exhortation and edification of others. God is forcing me to be a man of prayer by calling me to do what I could not do without him. I am energized by the knowledge that the benefit of prayer is not knowing how it makes me feel, but the promise that God, the sovereign king, answers my prayers and answers them. I've learned that the way to receive is to give, and giving generously to the needs of my brothers has opened the way for receiving abundantly from the Lord, who loves a cheerful giver. I have learned the necessity of seeing myself not as a man alone, but as a member of a military unit. You are all my brothers and sisters in arms, part of a global army united by a common goal, that is to glorify my king and extend his kingdom. I wrote this poem to recount my years in the wilderness. Though a long time in rebellion, squandering grace apart remained, out of fellowship in darkness, by this my wise Lord ordained, though my sin was not his doing, with no fruit my fate unsure, yet his spirit faithful wooing, that his promise might endure. Could the sun lack satisfaction? Could he lose one he had bought? No, his spirit would preserve me. Somehow evil schemes would come to naught. When by mercy grace returned me to again walk in his sight, sin now once again concerned me and made me work and pray and fight. Tis been said that Adam forfeit all his seed, but for a taste. When tempted, think not what ye shall profit, but upon that which ye shall waste. Cast aside not Christ's sweet pleasure, nor the proof that he is yours. Make your aim to love what he loves and to hate what he abhors. Though... You know that God forgives all, who by sovereign grace repent. Presume not upon his mercy, understand why trials are sent. 
these to prove your holy calling and make your election sure. And when by faith you resist from falling, t'was Christ alone held thee secure. So then where the battle rages, here there I stand and my faith is proved. In my heart his power engages so that I cannot be moved. Now forget what lies behind thee. Toward his upward call now run, confident that God will finish what in Christ he has begun. Pleasures, riches, and successes, not for all would I replace, for the expectation of reaching heaven and the joy of finishing the race. Looking to God's approval, not to how I might be test. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come into thy master's rest. Yes, I am a worm, saved by grace, but a worm may serve a mighty king. I am Bill Evans, and now I'm kingdom-driven.